Thank you, Blake. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. So, uh, hope you had a good week. We uh, sit down, Blake. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, uh, we had a great unity service last week. Uh, if you're not aware of what we did, we had like several, like 20 different churches got together from all different uh, backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, denominational backgrounds to unify on the one thing that we all agree on, and that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it was beautiful, and it's part of Pastors United. Uh, we had done a short series leading up to that time on unity, uh, and that's concluded. So today we're going to be coming back to our study in John. And if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to John chapter 6, please. I want to real quick mention that over the weekend, I have been uh, sharing at a youth retreat with uh, the students from First Baptist Church of L.J., Georgia. And uh, they are here this morning uh, so that I didn't have to drive out there. So you did it without me even having to say, please welcome them. So that's really awesome. They're a great group of students. I've just really enjoyed ministering with them and of course josh and his wife Catherine, who brought them down here and i've known their family for for feels like forever uh but he's the uh the lead pastor there and he's such a wonderful young man wave your hand and you can everybody uh, make sure you say hello to him he's been a real good friend to me over the years uh, so this morning uh i'm kind of rolling in what i've been teaching over the weekend into what we're teaching today it kind of all works together and it's not like it wasn't intentional uh, but either way uh, we've been talking with the youth over there about commitment and today we're going to be talking about that in the passage that we're looking at and as we as we think about this one thing i want to ask you is what what would be your definition of a fair weather friend anybody Okay, so when things are going good, they're there. And when things are going bad, where are they? <laughs> they're gone. They're, everybody's, everybody disappeared. Yeah, we've all known people like that. People who are, man, they're my best friend. They're sticking with me. Or we see that with teams, sports teams. You know, if the team's winning, oh, boy, I'm, I'm all in. If the team's losing, yeah, I don't care about that team anymore. So, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's part of human nature. And some treat the Christian walk that way as well. It's always been like that. It's always, it's nothing new in, in our experiences. It's always been like that. And we're going to see that Jesus went through this in, in the Gospels. Because listen, the Gospel is not always an easy pill to swallow. Jesus had his own share of fair weather fran- friends. And today we're going to see the distinction between those who are casually interested in Jesus, or at least what he could do for them, and, and those who are really committed to following him. Chapter 6 is where we are. It's been a pretty long chapter, and we're in the midst of a section where Jesus has been at the height of his popularity. Everybody's been on the Jesus bandwagon. He's done the miracle of multiplying bread, and everyone got stoked and felt like this was a reason to crown him king. Let's go ahead and force him to be king. But as the crowds all showed up wearing their big foam fingers with Jesus on it and everything, Jesus confronted their fandom by exposing that they weren't really interested in following him in a committed sort of way. They just wanted him to provide for a life according to their own plans. They wanted Jesus to build the kingdom of God according to their blueprints that they were providing. And when he stated to them that that wasn't going to be happening, that they needed to get a whole new understanding of what the kingdom of God is like as it's operating and moving in this world, well... Things got a little chippy all of a sudden. They started demanding signs from Jesus. Or, I mean, 
really, realistically, they demanded more signs. He's already been doing signs all through this thing, but they demanded bread from heaven like Moses gave the Israelites. If you're going to be somebody as, as cool as that, then you should at least be able to provide that for us. Give us some free bread, Jesus. And this got Jesus going on a discourse where he described himself as the bread from heaven. And that was kind of startling for everybody. But then he pushed the envelope almost to the point of the envelope exploding. And, and, and he declared that unless a person ate his flesh and drank his blood, that they wouldn't even find life. And he was talking, of course, we know from hindsight and years of being able to put this together. He was talking about a forecast of his death on the cross and for our sins and our consequent life of following him, a focused consuming of his teachings and his values and his purposes so that they become our own. He becomes a part of us. We become a part of him. But eating flesh and drinking blood. Wow, that's some imagery there. Those were alarming Word pictures, they are alarming in any context. In our day, in that day, especially for a first century Jewish person. All of those people that were there had gone to to school since they were children and they were trained in the Torah uh, by the rabbis. And I'm sure that the moment Jesus said something like this, that their minds went to Leviticus 17, where it says, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut that person off from the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, or, nor any foreigner who resides among you eat blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Those are serious words, right? This isn't just a casual like, man, it's probably not a good idea. It was, it was like a serious command that your whole sense of identity as a covenant person in Israel was tethered to. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying this. I mean, word picture or no, what Jesus said is, is disgusting and religiously offensive for the people listening to him without the benefit of the knowledge we have about this now. And that's where we left off. I mean, we were reading along, Jesus is popular, woohoo, Jesus, yay. And then all of a sudden he makes these statements and we stopped there. So it was kind of a cliffhanger. So what's going to happen after that? And that's what we're going to read about this morning, the fallout from Jesus's uh, bread of life discourse. So if you're there in John chapter 6, we're going to pick up with verse 60. We'll be reading through verse 71 this morning. So it says, many of his disciples said, after he said all these things, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Uh, And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he himself, and and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that's why I said people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point... This is, the, this is the thing here. This is the deal. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Okay, we'll stop there for a moment. So the contention in this chapter, it, 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 if you can recall back, it all started, it, it began uh, with, the, with the crowds. The whole big crowds were starting to grumble and get upset. And then it kind of narrowed down to the religious leaders 
who were part of this. They were getting upset with him. Now we've narrowed it even farther. We've drawn the circle in, and now it's his own disciples that are beginning to have this dissension. It's getting closer to home. And we can see from verse 66 that this departure of a large number of disciples was happening over a period of time. Probably several weeks go by, and as they go by, less and less people are showing up to hang out with Jesus on the daily. You know, we think of the disciples, we're normally thinking of 12 disciples because those are the ones that get named in this, but Jesus actually had a lot of people following him around the Galilean countryside. The, the 12 were the inner circle, we could say, the closest to him, the ones that he first called to this ministry. We know in Luke's gospel that Jesus had at least 70 disciples that he sent out on a mission. So there must have been at least 70 or more who were hanging out with the Jesus camp as he was moving around uh, through the Galilean countryside. But here, after this discussion, in the eyes of many of them, Jesus just, that was a bridge too far. Jesus just went way over the ledge this time. And as we said last week, Jesus really, not last week, but last time, Jesus really wasn't that interested in PR. That's a curious thing about him. When he realizes that they're grumbling uh, and he's suddenly in danger of being canceled by the culture around him, he doesn't start tweeting apologetic defenses or setting the record straight, try to clarify his words or anything like that. No, he continues to drive his point home. You, you thought that was offensive? <laughs> Just hang in there, man. We got, it's getting worse. He's, wait, you haven't even seen anything yet. I'm the son of man. He's using that terminology. He's saying, I'm the one that Daniel forecast in Daniel 7 and Daniel 12. I'm going back to heaven where I came from. Incredible words for Jesus to be saying. But he's also saying, if you'd hang in there with me, well, you'd see it happen. You'd, you'd be where with me, but you're so fixated on earthly things, on, on earthly patterns. You can't even grasp the spiritual thing that's unfolding in front of you here. I mean, in essence, that's what he's trying to communicate to them. And that's just too much for many of them. Actually, the language in the Greek, Greek is indicating that it was too much for the majority of them. So they quit showing up and hanging out with Jesus. You know, Jesus' claims are so far out of sync with their plans and points of view that they just head back to the life that they had before, uh, to, the, to a world that made sense to them at that time. The gospel is good news. It is good news, but it's not always welcome news. And that's because there are times that commitment to Jesus is going to take us out of our comfort zones. We're not going to be where everything is comfortable and makes a lot of sense to us all the time. I mean, as long as things were going well, as long as they were going according to their own plans, man, Jesus was awesome in their eyes. Ooh, Jesus, yeah. They loved him. They all the miracle doing, and he's walking on water, and the bread-producing Jesus. Oh, that Jesus rocks. He's awesome. But when things are comfortably fitting in with their purposes, everybody else was comfortable, and they were cruising right along and on board with the Jesus Express. But now... When he starts saying things that are really odd and offensive to the status quo, when he gets on this whole sacrifice and weird talk that doesn't sound much like an insurrection to overthrow Rome to them, well, well that's a different story. That doesn't all of a sudden make sense with our plans. Well, I don't know what all this is. That's uncomfortable. And bit by bit, piece by piece, they take their lives back under their own control. 
This account is, is prophetic. It's forecasting what would happen again and again all throughout the church age. I've seen this pattern repeated so many times it makes me heartsick to think about it. So many love the concept of Jesus forgiving our sin. That's awesome. His love and his grace extended to us. Ooh, I am all about that. God's provision for us. Woo, I'm in. But when the gospel makes a claim on my will, whoa, 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 whoa. when we realize that there's a commitment involved in this and how we choose and how we live actually matters, when faith in Jesus gets linked to eating, consuming his word and his values and seeing our lives changed as a result of it, well, man, that kind of gets in the way, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, I want salvation, but I can't make my whole life about it. I mean, come on. I wanted Jesus to save my life, not lay claim to my life. Jesus is going to challenge our comfort zones. He's always going to challenge our comfort zones. I'm sorry to say it's never going to get easier. It's never going to get better. We're never going to get past this point where we say, well, you know, that was something when he did that. But now finally things are back to normal. No, you signed up with Jesus. Nothing will ever be normal again. You have an invisible friend. You, you, you live on a completely different plane. You are, you are a different kind of human being now. I wanted Jesus to save my life, not lay claim to my life. Listen, this is sooner or later we'll be confronted with it. We're presented, each one of us, with a thousand little choices along the way of life to do our own will or to surrender to His. We want to be mad. We want to get bitter against those who've offended us or hurt us. But Jesus is there saying, love your enemies. We want to judge and feel superior to all those nincompoops that surround us. And there's Jesus saying, the greatest shall be the least among you. We want to numb our pains through excess alcohol or drugs. And there's Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn, who go ahead and feel that pain, embrace this human condition and find God in the midst of it. A thousand little choices along the way to commit to him or piece by piece take our own life back. Now, were those who turned back from following Jesus in this, in this narrative here, were they lost because of that? I am not qualified to make that call. I, I don't know. I mean, the rest of the New Testament seems to indicate there are those who are saved as though through fire. But it also says those who endure to the end will be saved. So I have no idea. I usually will fall on the side of grace, but I don't know that that really matters what happened with them. What happens with us That's where the real issue is, Uh, you know. And what I do know is that walking back from Jesus' claim on our life means that we're not walking into the life that God intended. Life will not be what it could be in Him. The gospel will take us to very uncomfortable places at times, but real love, I mean real love, not just the emotions of the thing, not just that attraction that Hollywood is so keen on, but real love is going to commit, is going to commit to him and go where he goes. Well, not everybody bails out. Uh, The story goes on, verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are are you also going to leave? Simon 
Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? <laughs> you have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you. But one is, it says devil, the literal word means accuser or enemy, the one who's at odds with me or opposed to me. One of you is my enemy. You're speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. That's where we're going to be stopping today. So these few verses are so poignant. You think about the scene. Think about the way it's all going down. Like each day, fewer and fewer people are showing back up for the Jesus camp. You know, they've all been there having a great time. Things are exciting. And all of a sudden you notice there's less and less people. It's kind of, you know, what is this, COVID? Or what's happening here? Why, where did everybody go? He's clearly aware uh, of uh, the, the dwindling numbers in this whole thing. And, and he knows his inner circle, the 12 that are there with him, they're aware of it too. Have you ever been part of something or, you know, been on the ground level of something, a team or a business that started off with a lot of people and a lot of excitement, a lot of people involved in it, and, and then it starts to dwindle and fizzle and people start losing interest and backing off. Anybody ever been in something like that? Or How did you feel? What did you feel in those? <laughs> Betrayed, sad. There's just, just this, it deflates you, right? There's just this sense like, oh man, we're just spinning our wheels here. What's What's really going on in all of this? The 12 disciples had to be feeling that as they suddenly look around and notice the numbers are less and less. And I believe that's why Jesus brings it up. Hey, fellas, let's talk about the elephant that's here in the room. People are bailing on this movement. Do you want to go too? Do you want to leave as well? Interesting how he puts that there in front of them. He doesn't come in saying, now, if you leave too, boy, are you in trouble? No. He's looking for commitment. He's asking a question. You guys want to go too? And Peter, once again, our lovable <laughs> screw-up spokesman for the whole group, says those wonderful bottom-line words. And they're bottom-line words because they're the bedrock words for every true believer when we face a crisis of faith. Who else are we going to go to? Where else are we going to go? Well, Lord, hey, look, we've been thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, we have. We've looked at all the alternatives, you know. <laughs> You're not an easy Messiah to live with. You embarrass us sometimes. You frighten us at other times. We barely understand what you're talking about most of the time. You're constantly blowing our minds with the things that you say or the things that you do. You make friends with all the wrong people and the people we think you should be kind of cozying up to. You get in their face. But where else? Who else are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life, the good life, the God life, is what that's talking about. And here's the other side of the uncomfortable aspect of the gospel. Commitment to Jesus is going to provide meaning and purpose for our lives like nothing else can. As difficult as it feels at times, the gospel imparts meaning and purpose and alerts us to our true value as human beings. I believe Peter is saying this after weighing it out carefully. I don't think he was just saying something off the cuff. I'm sure he and the other disciples have been thinking about it, maybe even discussing it a little bit. But he's thinking, where else am I going to go to find meaning and purpose in this life? We can't go back 
I'm sure this is where you'd go. Like, do I just go back to, to temple? Do I just go back to keeping the law as best as I can and disappointing my rabbi and my wife and everybody else? I mean, do I, I can't go back to that lifeless ritualism. We can't go back to just living for ourselves. We, we've experienced more than that now. Where are we going to find that, that life that we've been so hungry for? Where are we going to find someone who's providing that? Where, we could, where could we go for that? What's, what's going to give us a story to live from that rises above the brokenness and meanness of this world? A story that resonates with hope for us. Can we just sit around and, and, and play video games or watch cat videos and, and obsess with being entertained and find meaning in that? Find purpose in that? Is getting high or getting drunk or being promiscuous, is that going to give me some sort of value or purpose in life? No. It's going to, you know, give you a headache and make you really uncomfortable. But that's about it. Very unhealthy as well. Can we turn to philosophy? Some vague sense of spirituality? Find some spark of eternal hope there? Might be a little bit impersonal, but maybe I can find it there. Man, We've been down those roads before. I've already gone down there. I've already seen it. Got the t-shirt, fell apart. No, your words, Jesus, your ways, they open up the possibilities of what life can be for who we can be if we follow you. Your words give us meaning because you reveal who we are, children of promise, whose Father is God. Your words give us purpose because you've called us your friends. You've given us a mission to go out and bring your kingdom values into this world. Your words give us value because through them we realize that we are loved. Students of Elijah First Baptist Church, who are you? Eastgate, who are you? Where are we going to go for that? Where are we going to go to know that? Who's going to tell you that? I'll tell you who will. That very uncomfortable Messiah. That Jesus who lays claim on this heart. But when he lays claim on it, he opens it wide open and brings out life like we never could have dreamed. And so Pete makes this this two-part statement here. We have believed and we know. Literally, he's saying in the Greek, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm not sure if he meant what we mean by that statement, but in its basic form, he's claiming that Jesus is God's instrument to bring about God's kingdom. You know, a a throwback then to Daniel's prophecy of Messiah. We have believed. We may be confused and frightened sometimes, but, but... We may not feel that great in some cases, but we believed. We believed. It doesn't matter. It's not about what we understand or how we feel. It's about what we've believed, what we've committed to. And then we come to know. And it's a a developmental kind of thing that he's, he's describing in these few short words. And I believe we learn here the commitment to Jesus becomes then a, a journey. Where am I? Okay, but comes a journey towards God awareness. Peter with the 12 stand in contrast with the Jesus fan club who, even though they found Jesus attractive for a while while they're munching on that miracle bread, 
they were scandalized by his unorthodox claims. The 12 believed in Jesus. They embraced the possibilities of him without really knowing much. And then they stuck with him, hanging on to that belief, even when things got really hard like they do in this text here. They believed, and in that enduring belief, they came to know. They experienced him in greater ways. They became more and more aware of who he is and more and more aware of the reality of God's kingdom and more and more aware of the reality of God's kingdom at work in this present world around us all the time. Believing in the possibilities is one thing. Coming to know is another. And that coming to know is most often found in the context of things not going that well. We spend so much time and an inordinate amount of time trying to protect ourselves from things going badly. Things go badly, we're immediately saying, God, why do you hate me? And we're failing to recognize that the majority of times, when is the greatest growth taking place in your life? When things are great, you're sipping sweet tea on the beach and everything's lovely? No, it's in those moments of crisis when we don't know where to go that we suddenly find that shelter in the storm, that we grow to trust and know his presence. It's when the bread runs out or the demon won't leave or the storm threatens the boats and the crowds all leave. We come to know him, that he provides and protects and delivers us. So when the bills are due and the note says, I'm leaving you, or the pain just gets worse, that we come to know him as the shelter in the storm. It's in those pressing times that we come to know that he is the intended means by which God is breaking into this world. God breaking into this world so that it is on earth as it is in heaven. We believe what we hear. We come to know what we experience and both are vital, indispensable aspects of this Christian journey that we're on. The gospel is not just a set of intellectual propositions that we agree with and say we believe you know okay i i can agree with that i I believe in that that makes sense to me it is a relational journey that leads us onwards towards a greater awareness of god man what could be better than that god becoming reality in our lives he becomes the guiding love for our hearts guiding us through the brokenness of this world Listen, I will never lie to you. The gospel is a wild place. This is not tame. There's nothing, nothing in here that is, you know, predictable even. And it's going to take us far outside of our comfort zones. But it is unequivocally our only source of meaning and purpose. It is where we find our true value as human beings. But we have to commit. We've got to commit. It's not going to work if we're just going to skip along this way, munching miracle bread and bailing out when things are tough. We've got to commit. Believe Him and come to know Him. So let's do that. Let's embrace those coming to know him moments. Those come to Jesus moments in our lives. Let's embrace the possibilities of this Jesus who's come into our world. And let's hold on to him as tightly as he holds on to us. And let's set our faces like flints 
to continue this journey. Stumbling and bumbling as we go, of course, but still going on, onward, forward, into a glorious future. Right on? All right, very cool. Uh, If you'll stand with me, please, if you're able. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as uncomfortable as it is sometimes for us to to read these things and process them, and especially for us, 21st century Americans, so far removed from the source material and and the culture in which it emerged, it gets confusing, it gets difficult. We've got all of the pressures of society and all the pressures of religion working on us, trying to catch us in their flow and their current. I pray, Father, that we can hold fast to you, that we can look at Jesus, we look at his values, we look at his love, we look at his direction and the way he ministered and find our direction, find our course. Help us, Father, to do what we can't do on our own. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come and, and enable us to commit our hearts to Jesus. Enable us to hold fast like you hold fast to us. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fall in 
That's the bottom line, Lord. Where are we going to go? I just pray that you're with us all today, Lord, uh, as we go our separate ways. Keep this word fresh in our hearts. We've presented ourselves before your word. Now we ask you, Holy Spirit, shape us by that same word. We pray in Jesus' name. Before we sit down or anything like that, I real quick want to mention, uh, yeah, could you get the, thank you. Uh, Sean Christian is uh, moving back to Indiana. Uh, and uh, today is his last uh, Sunday with us. Sean has played drum, f- was with us for years. He's been a good brother, a good uh, fellow. Percussion. percussion. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, percussion. And drums. What and drums? What else? Did you want to do this? Or? <laughs> okay. So can I get some of you guys to gather around Sean here? And we're just going to pray for him and, uh, and pray that, that God goes with him and blesses him. Father, we pray right now for Sean, our dear brother. Uh, Lord, you know the challenges that he's faced with his health and all of that. We pray, Father, that you meet him in that, that you continue to do a good healing work in his life. Father, as he begins this new part of his journey, taking him far away from us, we pray, Lord, that you bless him and that you remain with him and that we remain in his heart. We pray, Father, that he's a blessing in whatever community you lead him into, like he's been a blessing to us. We pray you watch over him and take care of him. And, and we look forward to the day, if we don't see him again in this life, we look forward to that day when we're all together again, all of us rejoicing. Uh, I'll be the one with the broken palm leaf, but I'll be there. And 
praising you, Father. So we pray, Lord, that you bless him, go with him, protect him, and keep him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And other than that, uh, if you need prayer for anything, we want to welcome you to come on up here, and we'd love to pray with you and see what God will do. Uh, students of LEJ, I will see you uh, tonight at... Uh, I got there last night. It was 6.30, but... What, Oh, you'll call me. Okay. So we don't have to do this here. That's nice. Uh, and be, be sure to, to say hello to these guys. They're a wonderful group of students. Uh, but let's speak this blessing on each other before we bail out of here. May you see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. May the Lord hold you steady and still. In Jesus Christ, hold firm. Take heart. In his love, there is hope for you. Go in peace, you children of God.